Shalom and welcome to A Voice Calling in the Wilderness, a trumpet call, a voice crying out loud for God to those that would hear, so that they would run to Him, that they might be warned. We are here, sounding the alarm, that our time is short and that we have no time to waste. Here we will expose the truth, teach the word, discuss the dangers, lies, and enemies we are surrounded by, and how to engage in the war that we are standing in the middle of. The world we live in today teaches us that our technology, our connectedness, and superior educations are all that we need to master this life. The ideas of the past are outdated and out of touch. Looking back is never the answer. Looking forward wins the prize. We have lacked, locked ourselves into echo chambers of social media, 24-hour news cycles, campus lounges, and coffee shops. We pontificate that we are so very knowledgeable about life and living. We rarely turn to those that have lived a long life. We put aside and ignore those that have come before us. Even though the word says in Job 12, 12, 12 we learn that wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. And in Proverbs 19.20, we are told to listen to advice and accept instruction that you may be, gain wisdom in the future. It's time to stop trying to gain our wisdom horizontally from our peers and go back to seeking knowledge vertically so we may learn from those that have walked before us who have experienced trials and victories that we all seek. It's time to stop pretending and lying to ourselves about our shallow knowledge. It's time to sit and soak in the wisdom, hear the stories, mark the failures and successes witnessed by those who have so much to share and are willing to do so. Today we're here sitting to learn from, from some wonderful friends, Pastor Jerome Jackson, Harriet Jackson, Pastor Joe French, and Brother Bill Larson. I would like to welcome all of you to the show. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So, I want to give each one of you a couple minutes just to kind of talk to us about something that's on your heart. Um, I know in the pre-show, Bill, you were talking about something, and I'd like for you to go ahead and do that now. Thank you very much, Justin. Uh, it's great to be with you, and I've listened to several of your podcasts on The Voice and really enjoyed them and their content, and it's a privilege to, to be with you and the others. Uh, well. Uh, Going back to, you know, the church and time past, it, it's my opinion that the, the culture of the church from the time past, uh, too many confessing Christians have adopted too much of the world's culture. And let me define culture because it's, it's, it says the arts and the, the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively. So such as uh, that may be, it's, it's almost a disregard of the reverence for the Holy God. We have, for the most part, become very casual rather than reverent with a holy fear of God in what we call worship. It's a scene and our approach. We have little regard for our attitude, our state of mind, uh, in our appearance, and in our dress and in worship. And we think of God with no dignity. Uh, we think about us rather than the doctrinal hymns of the faith and etc. But the bottom line is worship is all about God. And let me let me just repeat what Dr. Edward Luther said. 
Worship is not an external activity precipitated by the environment. To worship in spirit is to draw near to God with an individual heart. We must come in full agreement without hiding anything or disregarding his will. So that's that's where I stand today. Well, amen. Thank you so much. Um, Ms. Harriet, would you like to go next? All right. Um, I see a lot of changes in the church. As we grew up, um, the church was the center of all social activities in our town. Um, there was little else except a movie theater and once in a while a school dance that I was not allowed to go to. But um, we had kids club, we had youth group, and that was my life when I was in high school. Um, we also had confirmation. Uh, some churches still do that, some don't. But I feel like I can still remember some of the answers that I memorized in confirmation class. And I can remember all of the verses that I learned. And in fact, we we were in, encouraged to learn Bible verses in Sunday school class um, for prizes um, in camp in the summertime also for prizes. And um, I remember one summer that Jerome learned 150 verses and said them all at one time um, just to get an award at boys camp. <laughs> and um, that's kind of silly, but the verses have remained in my heart. And they're there. And when a problem comes up in someone's life, the verse will come into my mind. Um, beautifully, and also verses of hymns, because we sang a lot of the same hymns over and over and over, um, with maybe all four verses, maybe all five verses, and the words became deeply ingrained in my heart. Um, when I grew up, I started playing for church um, piano and then organ, and also in summer camp, I played all summer camp. So the words of all the hymns that we sang were as deeply ingrained in my heart as Scripture verses. Awesome. That's great. Pastor French. Yeah, I have mentioned already the fact that uh, one of the big changes that I've noticed and coming into being a Christian at 25, before that, you know, I was a person of the world, drinking and gambling and carousing and cursing, um, the... Uh, the big difference that I see, actually, is is more in the preaching than it is in the people. Um, if you go back to the time of America becoming a new country, France was interested in uh, what it was that made them so great and why it was that uh, they had so few people who were in prison, either in jail or in or in the prisons. And so they sent a, a man over here uh, to uh, find out. And he said, he wrote a book afterwards. Um, his name was Lafayette. And he wrote a book afterwards. And in that book, he said, I sought for, for a maker's greatness in its, in its great uh, bay, bays and harbors. And I didn't find it there. He said, I went out into the great plains and looked at the great wheat fields. And I didn't find the secret there. I went into the mills and the workshops of the big cities that were being built 
I didn't find it there. He said, I looked all over and couldn't find it until I went into the church. He said, I went into the churches and I found men in pulpits who were on fire for God. And they were preaching righteousness and holiness. And people were listening to them and turning lives around. Now today, I, I don't know whether you watch very much. I watch very little of television as far as the preaching is concerned. But they're more interested in you being happy than being holy. And God's more interested mm -hmm. in you being holy than he is in you being happy. Because if you're holy, you'll be happy. And, and it's, it's, it's terrible to, to listen to some of these people. All they think about, and they're feeding, they're feeding people the idea that all God wants for you is to be successful, to be rich, to be famous, to be able to climb to the highest heights and be able to have everything that this world uh, wants for you. And that is not what God wants. God wants you to walk close to him. <laughs> God wants you to be filled with his spirit. And he wants you to, I feel very emotional about this. Mm. It'll, it'll come up in my voice, voice, I know. But when I read through the scriptures and I hear uh, the apostle Paul being prompted by the Holy Spirit to say what, will, what kind of things will be happening in the last days when he wrote to Timothy. And one of the things that he said was, in the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap unto themselves preachers having itching ears. That means they'll have preachers who will tell them the nice things that they want to hear, the things that will make them feel good, that make them feel happy, help them to rejoice. But it, it will be a rejoicing about the things of this life yes. and not the life that is to come. Nobody that I know of these days preaches from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 26, where it says, appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Mm -hmm. And you need to be ready for that. Amen. And you don't hear that anymore. People are not being prepared for eternity. Right. People are being lulled to sleep. And we have churches where people are just enjoying what's going on and they don't know why they're enjoying it but but it's not the enjoyment of of the spirit it's the enjoyment of of the world mm -hmm. because they they're being preached to about what things god wants you to have and it's all gold and silver and success and cups and and fame and your name in lights and all this kind of thing and of course you'll have crowds because that's what people want to hear yeah. It's actually a gospel that can only be preached in America. You couldn't preach it in the middle of Africa. You couldn't mm -hmm. preach it in some of the islands that, that I have been to in South America. You, you, you would see people living in straw huts and barely have enough from day to day to eat and keep themselves alive. And uh, you can't go out there and start preaching about God wants you to be a millionaire because it's impossible. <laughs> But you can teach them, you can be ready to meet the Lord. And we don't glorify God in the church anymore. We glorify man. And, uh, and a lot of our songs now are about all the good things and all the nice things that we can have and we can enjoy. And it's, that's not what it's all about. And, and I remember reading about this in that book that uh, Lafayette wrote. And he said, you know, he didn't discover it in, in all the things that we normally look at. The success and all the things that's that America's built on this. 
that you are to be successful, that you are to be rich, that you are to have everything you want, everything you need. That's not what God wants for you. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. And I love that word. I, I, when I <laughs> preach on that, I emphasize that word because they are to God just things. They're not anything else. They're mm. not things, things to be grasped at. You can have all the gold in the world, but if your soul's not ready for eternity, you're in a very bad shape. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, <laughs> we don't have that kind of thing anymore. The church mm. is not the place now where people come and their lives are turned around and they are changed into new creatures in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Thank God there are a few people that are still doing it, but they're becoming scarce more and more. And more and more people want to have a big church, so what do they do? They preach about riches, mm -hmm. success, happiness. And that's been one of the biggest changes that I have seen in the church over the years that I have been in the ministry. Thank God that I came into the church when they were still preaching the old-fashioned gospel. <laughs> and I was convicted of sin. <laughs> and I went down and kneeled at the altar. And I said to God, God, I don't understand everything about it. I'd never been in church in my life. I'd never, attend, I'd never attended any church. I, I, I went down to the altar and I knelt down. And, you know, one of the things that you learn about, if you, if, if you, go, if you go back to some of the old-time revivals, uh, I can tell you a lot about the revival in Wales in 1904 when, the, when Wales was in a terrible condition, worse than America is now. And overnight, everything changed over. From empty churches, they had people waiting in line for hours to get into the church. From people who were stealing and robbing their bosses and the people they worked for, they all turned around and returned what they'd stolen if they could. And if not, they told the boss, please stay, stop it out of my salary until I've paid what I owe you because of that. And overnight, the whole, the whole nation was changed. The, uh, they used to have full jails and full prisons. After the revival broke out in 1904, there was no, but no work for the, the, uh, the courts. In fact, when the judges came in, a year after the revival broke out, when the, when the judges came to court, they found out there was no cases for them. Nobody had been arrested because there was nobody stealing or robbing or fighting. And they actually used to give out a pair of white linen gloves to judge if he didn't have anything to judge in a day. And they ran out of linen gloves because there was no cases in all of the courts across Wales. Imagine that, you know, empty jails, empty prisons mm. and, and people sober. I'll tell you of one place and then I'll finish. Um, there's a place in the middle of Wales where I went to visit while I was a pastor in Wales. And uh, they told me there was a, a large pub in the middle of the town there. And on Saturday night and Sunday night, it used to be full to capacity with hundreds of people drinking, carousing, fighting, swearing, all kinds of things going on. And about nine o'clock on the Saturday night, suddenly all the doors burst open and a wind blew through there. It wasn't an ordinary wind. It was the wind of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Everybody in the place fell on the sawdust floor and began to pray and ask God to forgive them of their sins and save them and help them to be the kind of people that he wanted them to be. The people stayed there till three o'clock in the morning, cleaning the place up and opened it the next morning at nine o'clock as a church. 
Oh. All right. That's the kind of change that God can make. Mm-hmm. But he can't do it if we're just messing about preaching silly little sermons about you. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be famous and so on. God's more interested in you being holy than he is in you being happy. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pastor Jerome, do you have an opening statement? Well, we've about said it all. <laughs> I brought along with me a hymnal. And uh, we have four of them at home, and I have to say the hymns that we used to sing in church are absent totally, and yet I learned the message from reading those hymns over and over and singing them over and over again. It's missing, in, in my opinion, and I think we have bypassed a great ministry to our own hearts by not having them. I don't want to spend much time on the hymnal because I have to agree with Joe and, and Harriet. Thessalonians chapter 2. There is a verse that says, In the last days there come a great falling away, and this man of sin will be revealed. I believe we're right there. I believe there is a great falling away in the church. I could mention one name, and you all have alluded to it. This fellow fills a stadium every Sunday morning, mm. but it's the same message that you hear of health and wealth and just hang in there and everything's going to turn around and be hunky-dory for you. I'll tell you what I miss. I miss sermons that have convicted me have troubled my heart. And I said, I see myself as a real sinner in need of a Savior. And I I, I have to say, I, I miss the message of conviction being preached to me. I need that. And I think that's part of the great falling away. I'll, I'll say something that'll make you feel good. And all the while I'm missing the true gospel. I think there needs to be messages on the efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, he's the only way, and that has to be preached. And I have to say, I do hear sermons where they bring in the idea and the thought that there may be another way. There is no other way. Jesus and his blood is the only way. When I look at Hebrews 9, 27. Neither by the blood of bulls or of goats, but by his own blood he entered in once to the holy place, there to obtain redemption. Folks, we've got to be preaching the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, was what cleanses us from all sin. I believe also there is an absence in the preaching of the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And of course, you know the rest of the verse. But I'll tell you what I'm missing 
that message of recognizing I can be infilled with the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Every day. Mm -hmm. Moment by moment. You're exactly right, honey. Ephesians 5.18, where it says, Be ye continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the urging that's, Be ye continuously. What I had yesterday, I ran out of. I need a refilling. Mm-hmm. And we're told, grieve not the Holy Spirit. That message needs to be preached because why? I can grieve the Holy Spirit. In Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, and be, and, and quench not the Spirit. Quench is put the fire out. I can do that, but I tell you, I have to be preached that to me. To recognize, hey, that's for me personally, not for Joe next to me, mm-hmm. but that's for me. The preaching of the cross is to them that are perishing foolishness, but to us which are saved is the power of God. We've got to hear that sermon, and I don't hear it. I'm sorry. I just don't Amen. hear it. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you. Well, Jesus said, you remember, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me signifying by what kind of death he would die. And that is, it's the cross which draws people. It's not examples. You don't have to follow him as an example. You can't be like him. You cannot just follow his teaching and start doing the kind of teaching that he did. You have to come to him. When we preach the cross and raise up the cross, that is what draws men and women, because that's what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. By this shall all men and women be drawn unto me when I am lifted up, when I am crucified. That's the drawing power. It sounds like an anomaly, really, because, um, you know, you think of a man dying on the cross. But one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize, and I, I hate Hollywood for this. I hate them desperately. They always portray Jesus as struggling on the cross with his head bowed down and everything, uh, you know, um, uh, he's struggling to just keep breathing and so on, and they show him in an awful manner. Uh, That wasn't the case. In fact, if you read through the seven sayings that he gave on the cross, the last one before he said, I I commend your spirit, it it says quite clearly, and, and he bowed his head. That means up till then he'd had his head upright. Amen. He used he used the cross as a as a a, a speaking thing, and he gave Amen. out his orders. Woman, this is your son, and uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he gave all his orders out while he was up there on the cross. It was he wasn't rolling around in 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 pain and and terror. He had control over it. In fact, well. One of the sermons I like to preach sometime is uh, the victory wasn't really won on, on the cross. It was, won in, it was won in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and it was won when Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. Mm. That, that was the victory. That's when the devil was defeated. But it, was act, it, actually acted, it had to be acted out on the cross. And uh, that's where it was finalized. That's where the final stamp was put upon it. But... Uh, you know, I can show you actually what Jesus died of on the cross. He didn't die from the wounds that he had. He didn't die from the lashings which he had. There was something else that happened to him. And I can show you from John chapter 19 what it was in actual fact. And uh, 
you know, it's it's wonderful, really, when you look at it. But it, the preaching of the cross, as you say, is to them the perish foolishness. People go, don't go to church these days wanting to hear about the cross and the blood and so on. They go there because they want to be encouraged to have a life of victory and so on. And uh, that's not the way it is. Isaiah 53. Yeah. If you go to verse 11, it says, In God saw the travail of his soul mm. and was, was satisfied. satisfied. Yeah. There's where the victory was won. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, my, that was my wife's favorite verse of Scripture, by the way. Uh, chapter chapter 53 of Isaiah was my wife's favorite uh, chapter. So I'm in complete agreement with everything you've said. I have been concerned for some time about the message, the soft message in America that is preached from the pulpit about our wealth and our prosperity and our health and our happiness. There seems to be this great preaching about living, and I hate to say it because there's a book on it, but living your this great life now. And there's such a focus on this place, where we're at now, and there's so little focus on where we're going. So many people act like this is our destination and that we're not just passing through here. Hmm. And you can see it in the world around us every single day, with especially with this pandemic and all these things going on. People are afraid to die because, well, you might die. Well, guess what? You're going to die. <laughs> That's right. You're not going to get out of this life alive. But no man knows the day that he's going to die. Only God knows that. It doesn't matter if it's a vaccine or it's a pandemic or it's a car wreck or what it is, you're going to die. Yeah. But so many people are focused on that because they've gone to these churches that have told them to live this great life and do these things. And God will give you your wealth, your career, your home, your family. It'll all be great. At the same time, these people live in complete turmoil in their homes because they have no foundation. They have no roots of a, a faith to get them through. So I've been greatly concerned about exactly what you're talking about, that what it was being taught in the church and what the reverence that you spoke of. I, I also don't see the reverence for God, the reverence for tradition, the reverence for what we were taught in the first century of the faith. Who talks about that stuff anymore? Who teaches it? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You get wise by being fearful of God. If you think of how big God is, mm. you know, every time I turn over to the book of Genesis and I read those first verses, in the beginning, there was a beginning, no matter what other people say, there was a beginning. In the beginning, God created Mm -hmm. It didn't exist before. No. God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. There's only one earth. They can look all over the universe if they like, but there's not another place like this. This was specially made just for you and me, for us to dwell here. God made it specially for us. But look how, look how much he loved his creation, because yeah. if you look at how much beauty he packed into this, yeah. I mean, everywhere you turn, I mean, just the wildlife and the plants and how the sun rises and we get the rainbow and everything. I mean, there is beauty everywhere you turn. And you don't do that if you don't have love. Mm -hmm. So God loved what he created. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know that you know that we've just had this uh, hurricane gone through Ida, and it's caused all the problems, you know, all across the land, even up into the northeast. There never used to be that when when it first was created, because it says quite clearly in in the first three chapters of of the book of Genesis that there was no such thing as rain, but a mist went up each night. And and then the next morning came down like a dew and watered the ground. And there was no great moving of air. There was no great building up of power and force. Mm -hmm. There was no such thing as storms. Mm. You know, God made it so that it was beautiful. And and I and I I and many in my generation are very concerned about where we're going, where we're at. And and I agree. I think that we're somewhere in the beginning of the birth pains or something. I mean, there's too much evidence right now of people falling away from the church, um, corruption in the church. Um, There's incredible studies out there that talk about different sins of the world within the church itself. I mean, I saw a study that said 70% of men in the church view pornography. Mm. And that's an amazing number to me. I would never in my life imagine something like that. Mm-hmm. The divorce rate in the church almost equals that of the secular world. So we have mothers in the church raising children on their own. That would never happen in the years past. The church used to hold people together, it used to be the glue that held families together, it used to be the glue that held communities together. Mm. The church used to run schools, hospitals, we took care of orphans. We took care of all the adoptions that took place. That we give all that up to the government. The church has lost any influence and authority or power it's had in society, and that—that's my opinion. But I don't—I don't see where that's they good, go. That's a good opinion. Yeah. I wonder <laughs> though if it's what you guys are saying. If it's just we've forgotten the reverence of God, we've forgotten—we've forgotten the reverence for the Word and its authority. See, I view that, I view the Word as the great authority for man. But I don't see a lot of churches see that as the authority. I was preaching one time in one church, and I was explaining the fact that marriages in the Old Testament was not boy meets girl, and they both fall in love, and then they, you know, go and get married and so on. They were arranged by family. One family would meet with another family, and they would say, your son... Uh, would make a good husband for our daughter. And they'd say, yeah, and my daughter would be a very good wife for your son. And they would sign a contract. And they would break bread and drink wine to seal the contract. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> you know, that they used to do that. And and so those two were committed, usually when they were quite young. I mean, Mary, uh, who the Catholic Church makes too much of, and we don't make enough of her. <laughs> we don't... Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, we used to have things in, in, in our faith called covenants. Yeah. And we don't make covenants with people anymore. Yeah. We, most people wouldn't even begin to know what that is. So, yeah, I see us, I see us in this very great quandary. And, and I and others that I am associated with, we're crying out for revival. Yeah. So one of the things that I—what happened to the men? Because the men used to be— the protector, the leader, the teacher, the the priest. What happened to the men of the church? 
Brother Bill, you got an answer for that? Uh, I wonder because, uh, you know, when I was growing up, uh, men, uh, I went to a Lutheran church. And, uh, Harriet, I have to tell you, I relate to you also because uh, I was confirmed there and uh, it meant so much to me. And I was going to bring up the uh, another point about the church. I don't see children today in church. When I was in Sunday school, I was uh, told by my mother and father, you will go to Sunday school and you will attend church. So, and believe you me, uh, in our community, and it was pretty good size, we all went. So my point is, uh, yeah, and we also had at our church uh, called a brotherhood. That was a Lutheran church uh, uh, men's organization. So, but I, I don't see much of that. And, and again, uh, I see, let me just emphasize again my opinion that, you know, Many of these Protestant churches have seen declines, and we know mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, this is due to the whims of the culture changes we see in America. Now, a number of the mainstream churches over the past years have made decisions to adhere to those demands because of the American cultural practices. So, uh, Justin Anson, you know, where do we go, you know, again, bring the children back into the church. Hopefully they will go into uh, teenage years and, and go on into the college level. That's We, we need help there in a tremendous way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's got to be that factor. And, and there's a dogma also that it, it gets me that the mainstream churches are even changing the names of their churches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, come on, we're giving in just completely. So anyway, uh, I hope the men rise up. Justin. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, talking about confirmation, um, I had a man in England who um, had joined the Church of England. Um, in actual fact, when I was in the army and we were signing in the new people who were coming in, um, somebody would come in and he'd say he was from the Baptist church and we'd put down his name in the book uh, where mm-hmm. he'd been registered and we put by the side Baptist. If somebody came in and said they belonged to the Lutheran church, we put down by the side Lutheran. And then if they came in and said no church, we'd put Church of England. Automatically they were C of E, you know. Well, this, yes. one, this one man actually was Church of England and I asked him about it one time and he said, well, he said, I went to church and I was told that if I joined the church, that would make me a Christian. And he said, so I joined the church. He said, then I was told that I had to be confirmed. And he said, so I got confirmed. And after that, I was a confirmed sinner. (laughs) (laughs) So you can go through through the the rituals that the the church has got into in the high churches. um, And and they have become a kind of dogma. I mean... Particularly among people like the the larger churches, Church of England or whatever, and then the Roman Catholic Church. Um, if you are just a member there, even if you never go, because because you you know you you are just born into that area and your family belong to that church, so you automatically become a member of the church. And even if you never darken the doorstep of the place, you are supposed to be a Christian because you're. 
Church of England or you're Roman Catholic or whatever the case may be. And um, I'm, a, I'm a great follower of, of soccer, uh, which it should be called football, really, because that describes exactly how they play it. They actually kick a ball with the foot, you know, so it is football. And uh, so um, you people have tried to change it over here and call it soccer. But I, I like to watch it because I used to play it regularly. And I'm always amused when I see the professionals playing. And I like to follow one of the teams that, uh, that I, was, I was born just down the road from a team called Aston Villa who play in the main league in England. And uh, I see these players from all over the world. And when they're called on to play, uh, to, to take the place of another player, the first thing they do is they're running onto the pitch. They're making the sign of the cross, you know. And I'm reminded of a, a man I went out with once who was kind of... Um, he was an evangelist and he was outspoken, you know, and we were in with a crowd of people sitting at the table ready for dinner. And somebody said, uh, shall we say grace? And one of one of the people at the table started making the sign of the cross. And he said, I'm sorry. He said that your God's deaf and dumb and he needs sign language. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I I am very concerned that we've turned our churches into a social gathering place. Yeah. And if you look at most churches and, and my family, we've traveled quite a bit around the country and we've lived in a lot of different States and attended churches in different States. And there quite honestly is very little difference in most churches in America. But there, one thing that is common amongst them is it's really hard to tell the difference between them and a social gathering place in the secular society. Mm -hmm. They're very, very paralleled nowadays. Um, the church, the songs may not have the same words and message that the secular songs do. You know, they don't, they cut out all the la dirty language and, and the innuendo and stuff, but the tempo is the same. It sounds the same. It's very, very similar. The clubs are very similar. Um, we had a, a big church we went, went to in Wichita that had the biggest draw for them, and they had a lot of children at this church, but the biggest draw to them was their children's ministry because it was more like going to uh, Walt Disney. I mean, they had shows, and they put on plays, and character dress up, and it was just an amazing show. Mm -hmm. And I watched, the, and the you know, the music at the beginning of the service was a rock show with lights and smoke and all kinds of just, it was really wild. Mm-hmm. And I realized after we were there for a while, everything was a show. Hmm. I mean, it wasn't about that spiritual connection. It wasn't about connecting with God and having him change you from the inside out. It was about entertaining the people that come every week so they would come next week and put money in the coffers. I think about the churches in Revelation in the first few chapters. And mm -hmm. for one of those churches, it said, you have need of nothing. And I think that for a lot of us, that's where we are. Um, when we have a need, when we get sick, when one of our family members has a crisis, we immediately ask for prayer. Mm -hmm. We go to the Lord in prayer, which is what we should do. Um, but how about day by day when things are going well? Do we remember the Lord? Do we remember to be in his word, to grow every single day, even in our 80s? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
we still are growing. <laughs> Thank the Lord, and there's still a lot to learn. <laughs> and heaven, heaven's looking more beautiful every day. <laughs> and, and in our 90s as well. <laughs> yes, in 90s. The very church you described, Harriet and I went this last summer to one in Phoenix, and here was the, the mir mirrored ball oh. turning. And when the smoke came out from the, under the platform, I said, we're in the smoke and mirror age. <laughs> but we witnessed that ourselves. You did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the church The church suddenly has the idea that the only way they can attract people out of the world is to do the things that the world is doing. Mm. And, and that's the way that they've convinced themselves mm. that they will be successful, you know. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, that is not what you're supposed to be doing. Um, you, you have to decide what are you trying to turn people into? Are you trying to turn them into people that act like the rest of the world, that uh, are entertained, that simply enjoy things that you do? Or are you trying to turn them around so they suddenly become saints and they love the things of God and they love the word of God and they, they love to take time in prayer and they love to take time singing God's word? Um, a lot of a lot of the new songs that they bring along have more to do with us than they did with God. Oh yeah, well, and uh, that 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 really uh, you know does something to me. I uh, there's some songs when I when I go to church that I don't sing sometimes because mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with the greatness of God. And when you think of some of the great songs that were written, uh, you know, during the 18th century, uh, with the two brothers that started the the Methodist movement. Um, you 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 read some of you read some of their their uh, hymns, and they are scriptural. They they have something to do with the greatness of God, and uh, when you're singing it, you you can almost feel the uh, the mightiness and the awesome of mm. awesomeness of God, and that's the kind of thing that we're supposed to be doing, not not making people happy and and you know just uh, causing them to uh, rejoice in something because. It's, but it's not of God. It's not God that you're doing it to and for. I heard a missionary speaking this week, um, just a few sentences, but he's in Afghanistan. And oh. he said, on Sunday, the churches will be packed. And I thought, oh, my goodness. They know that when they reveal themselves as Christians, they are likely to be killed. But he yeah. said there has been a tremendous revival in Afghanistan in the last little while, and many, many, many people have come to the Lord. Yeah, there's been quite a movement in China as well. I have a friend yes. who lives in Singapore. He used to be next door to me in England. He had a church in the next uh, uh, area, and uh, we used to have a lot of fellowship together and work things out together Um and uh, he finally, in his, when it was time for him to retire, he decided that the word retire meant to have a new tire on. <laughs> not, not, not to stop working, but to get new tires on, you know. So instead of just going home and, and sitting at home and so forth, he heads for Singapore. And uh, he said uh, they were looking for, here's the way God works. Um, they were looking for a building. Now, um, any buildings or any kind of area in Singapore is worth its weight in gold. 
a square foot, you know, can cost you a fortune uh, because it's so crowded. And he said they were looking for a place, uh, some of the Christians there were looking for a place where they could have a church. And he said there was no chance of them being able to buy the kind of building they would like to have because it was, uh, it was impossible. Uh, they wouldn't have the money. So they started praying about it and prayed very earnestly. Now he said, if you wanted to go to prayer meetings, you had to go to their prayer meetings. He said, you'd, you'd have people crying and rolling on the floor, you know, um, just begging God to come down and meet them and, and meet their needs and so on and so forth. He said, but after about two months of that kind of prayer meetings, almost every night, he said, suddenly some businessman in the middle of Singapore comes to them and says he's got a new building that he was going to put up for sale, but he suddenly felt that they should do have it instead, and he gave it to them mm. for nothing. It's worth a fortune, and they have great meetings there, packed out to the doors. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, that's the way God does it. Um, I, when I was in Trinidad, um, that, and I was invited by that man to go preach there, I told you the story of when he came to the church and so asked me if I go to Trinidad and go and preach there and I went to the church it was a uh, it was a uh, an ex-cinema now it belonged to an Indian man and there's a lot of Indians uh, from India that is there's a lot of Indians who live in in Trinidad and if you don't know this it's it's a true that Indian people go to cinemas more than any other nationality that there is they had great ones hmm. for going to to a cinema. And so uh, these people had got together and they'd grown from just four or five of them meeting in a house meeting. And they now had well over 300 people and they wanted somewhere to have a nice meeting. And they saw this beautiful building right in the middle of town, uh, the capital there, Port-au-Prince. And uh, they, it was a cinema. And they said, that would be fine. It's right on a corner. It's got plenty of parking right, a place around it and so you know we'd like to have it so they went in and asked to see if the owner was around and he was he was in the office at the back of the cinema and he went they went in to see him and they said we'd like to buy this building and he, he sat there and, and just rolled in laughter he said there's not a chance in this world that I would ever sell this building it's a it's a gold mine and, and we love it you know and he said you would never be able to get this building so they, they, they went back and they prayed about it and they were prompted by God to keep going back to him. So they went back another three times, leaving about a month between, you know. And each time they went back, as soon as they poked their head through the door, he'd just wave his hand at them and say, go away, there's no use talking to me, I'm never going to sell this place to you. So after they'd done this about six or seven times, finally they went to him one day and he sits up in his chair and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, if you bring me a million dollars, he said, I will sell this, this place to you for a church. So they said, that's a deal. So they all went back and they called prayer meetings every night for a month. They, they, they had prayer meetings that lasted five and six hours at a time. And at the end of that time, money started to come in from everywhere, from overseas, from different places. They didn't ask for anybody to give money. It just started to roll in, roll in. People came to the church where they were meeting, which was a dirty little place downtown, and uh, they didn't like it. But, uh, you know, people could come in and they put great big wads of notes in the offering. And they finally came to the place where after about six months, they actually had a million dollars. 
<laughs> so they went back and they went into the office and they said to the man, you said if we got a million dollars, you would sell the place. He said, I did. Are you a man of your word? Of course I am. Here's the million dollars. And they put it on the desk. <laughs> and he sat there and cried because he didn't want to sell it, really. But he had to because he had to keep his word. <laughs> so they turned it into a church. And I tell you, that was a magnificent church. When I went there and preached there for the first time, one of the things that struck me was um, the, the preacher said to me, just sit on the front seat and keep, you know, you can just look up at the platform. And, and he said, we'll just wait for the people to come in at nine o'clock. The first meeting was nine o'clock on Sunday morning. And so I'm sitting there. I don't hear a sound. And so I, my wife was sitting next to me and I kind of nudged her and I said, I don't think anybody's coming this morning. I said, there's, there's no sound of any movement behind us. And so uh, she turns around and she said, if I was you, I'd turn around. So I turned around. There's 700 people sitting there quietly praying. <laughs> he taught he taught them not not to come in and just mess around and just talk and just you know. He said, "Get yourself prepared to meet God." And he said, "The way to do that is to spend time in prayer, not only for yourself but for everybody who comes through these doors. That will be conscious of God's presence in this place." And I tell you what. God's presence was very real in those meetings. Yeah. I, I go back to where we really started. And I, as a kid, I can remember walking into the sanctuary and it was a special place. There was an awe there of respect and honor. We were entering, entering into God's house. I, I, I miss that actually, but what is, what is the answer? What is the answer, gang? We've got to be men and women of prayer. Mm -hmm. That's the axe. We've got to get back to God. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Don't you feel that the church is worshipping God from afar instead of being in his presence? That's how I feel about it right now. I've been in meetings where the presence of the Lord was so real that you were almost afraid to breathe. And uh, I was in one meeting where everybody was singing loud, clapping hands, raising hands, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know. And suddenly everything went absolutely quiet. And you could hear people actually breathing not too far away from you. But that's all you could hear. And some of us, and I believe this was true, it was almost like you could hear the rustle of the garments of Jesus mm. as he walked down the aisle. Mm. I, I was so overcome with his presence that I dropped on my knees between the pews. And I wept and wept like a baby. One of the great highlights of my life. Say, People say, what's the highlights of your life? When you saw a crowd of people coming forward for salvation, when there was a great meeting and you had, you know, 3,000 people you were preaching to. Say, no, the greatest highlights in my life was twice when I felt the presence of God so real that I couldn't stop crying for an hour. 
One was, the other one was, when I was sitting in the back of a car, we used to go to uh, a young couple up in northern uh, Ohio, and they had a very small church. It was just, a, it, the town was so small, it didn't even have a red light. And he said to me, he said, uh, I can't ask you to come and preach for me, he said, because we only have a handful of people come to the church. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I said, I've got two churches here, one in Toledo and one in Pontiac, and they pay for us to come over from England at that time and stay for two weeks. And we go and preach in both churches for a week each time. I said, they give me enough money to be able to pay my fare and all my expenses and so on. I said, why don't I give you a week for nothing? I don't, don't take up an offering. Don't ask people to give money. Don't ask. I said, I'll, I'll just come and preach for you. And uh, uh, he came with his, with his wife. He'd married the daughter of the, the, uh, the, the one of the churches, the one in Pontiac. He married the daughter of the preacher there. And uh, so he came to pick us up to take us down to his little church and his little house. And they, they used to clean bank at night to make them enough money to keep themselves going, you know. And he'd preach as well. And so I was sitting in the back of his car, and it was when the Gaithers had just made a new tape. This is the old days when we had tapes, you know. You remember those things? <laughs> yes. You know, he'd, the Gaithers had just made a new tape, and it, it, was a, it was a number of their songs put together for a show. And they got to that song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in the back of that car. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, 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 it comes all over me. I was sitting in the back of that car, waiting for him to, to start driving off. And I heard that song start up. And the tears began to roll down my face like a torrent. I couldn't stop. I was so in love with Jesus. He <laughs> mm. was so real to me. I felt like I'd already gone to heaven and I was in his presence. And I sat in the back of that car and the tears just rolled down my face like a torrent. And the lad was so upset, he didn't know why I was crying. And he turned around and he said, Joe, are you all right? Mm -hmm. I said, I've never felt better in my life. (laughs) 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 And there are times like that when... You can just close in with God. If people have never had such experiences that I feel sorry for them, that they've never sought God so much in their lives, that they've actually had a time Mm. when God's come down and visited them and his presence becomes so real. You can't speak at that time. You can't say anything. All you can do is love him and you feel him loving you back. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what causes all the emotion. I, I get emotional about these things because I love the Lord so much. He's done so much for me, brought me so far through life, done so many miracles in my life. I, I don't know. I don't, people, people who go to these churches where they preach what they what they want to hear, they don't get these kind of experiences, no, they don't. and it's a shame. Mm-hmm. Because it's a taste of heaven. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. You have just that little taste. You know, have you ever had a meal and you've tasted something for the first time and you said, 
boy, I'm looking forward to tasting that again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've had times with God when he's become so real to me. I've actually felt his touch. I've heard his voice. And I've loved him so much. I've said, Lord, I don't, I don't want to leave this place. I don't want to go. I don't want to break this atmosphere. And I've gone away, and, and I've been, as I've been walking away from that experience, I've said, Lord, I'm looking forward to the next time when we have another session like this. Mm -hmm. That's what real Christianity is. When we're in love with him so much that he becomes a reality to us and we can feel and know his presence. That, uh, that I would take, I'd take five minutes of that for all the hallelujahs and praise the Lord in the church where they're only preaching rubbish. Yeah. I wonder how many people have wept over the Word of God. Mm. You know, if you, when you are reading a passage and it strikes you and it brings you to tears, how many people have actually experienced that? God and have guessed so many either. Mm. Absolutely. So, are we lost? Can we come back? Is there hope? I think there is a possibility. Um, I don't know how much, because God's always willing if we're willing. But there has to come a willingness from our side to mm -hmm. repent and turn from the wrong way that we're going. And I can I can give you many instances of revivals. I, I, stood, I did a study on revivals many years ago. And there are times when people begin to realize, hey, things are not right. We've got to do something about it. And they've set themselves to pray. And there's been a revival. I'll, I'll tell you one little one here. Uh, in, in the island of Lewis, which was the largest island in the Hebrides, all right, the people there realized that the, the island had gone completely away from God and the people were living as if God didn't exist. But there were two little old ladies there. One was 88 and the other one was 90. They were sisters. They were crippled with arthritis. They didn't go out of the house hardly ever. A little, a little hut in the middle of the island. You know, I mean, there's nothing there really. I've been there. And these two sisters began to pray seriously that God would send a revival. And some years later, God put his hand on a preacher in Scotland called Duncan Campbell. And Duncan Campbell felt the urge to go to Lewis. And so he got on a train, went from where he was in the southern part of Scotland, went up on the west coast, and... When he arrived at the town that was opposite to Lewis, he arrived at the harbour and there wasn't a ship in the harbour. Nobody to take him over to the island. And he stood there and he said, what am I going to do? Why am I here? Is, am I, was I wrong? Did I not feel that God wanted me to come here? Right then, round the corner of the head, headland, came a small boat, put, 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 and, and comes into the harbour and comes down and stops right in front of Duncan McCampbell. And, uh, and, and the fellow shouts to him, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, yes, can you take me to the island of Lewis? And he said, yes, I can, jump in. So he jumps in the boat, and they go over to the island. And they arrived in Lewis. And as he's getting off the boat, some of the people said, are you Duncan Campbell? 
They said, he said, yes. How did you know that? Oh, it's, wait till you meet the two sisters. So they took him down to the two sisters and he walks in and somebody said, somebody who'd taken him in there said, Mr. Duncan Campbell has arrived. The one sister turned around and said, you're late. <laughs> We've been expecting you for the last three weeks. <laughs> so he said, well, I'm here now. All right. So they had a high church there, and the, the minister came to him and said, we'll have a service tonight, and you'll preach from the big pulpit, but you have to wear the clerical coat, which he'd never done before. And he put it on and went in the, in the pulpit, and he preached. And he thought he did quite well. And there was a reasonable small, you know, not a big crowd, but there was a reasonable number of people there. And he said at the end, when he was closing in prayer, there was not a stir, nothing, nothing. It was just dead. So he had to join the procession. He'd had the procession coming in. The, uh, the man with the cross, lo long, tall cross, walked at the front of the procession. Then a man came behind him with some kind of garb that he wore that showed that it was the Church of Scotland. And then came him and the preacher behind them. And then there was another two or three people behind him in the procession. And he said, we got halfway down the main aisle towards the main door. He said, when the man who was carrying the cross in the front suddenly stopped, dropped on his knees and shouted at the top of his voice, God, you promised to pour water on the dry land, on the dry ground. And he said, we are dry. We need the water. Mm. And he said, everybody in the place dropped on their face and began to cry and weep and ask God to forgive them. And he, he said, when we opened the doors, everybody out of the town was in the, in the churchyard, the graveyard outside the church, packed out with people all on the knees praying. Everybody on the island got saved in three weeks, except for the butcher, and he had to leave because he couldn't stand the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the kind of thing that can happen. Mm. People have got to get real with God. So how do we relight this fire? This nation was built on the Word of God. Our founding fathers put God's Word and His intent in all of our founding documents. How do we relight this fire? Because there is a great falling away mm -hmm. in this church, in this country. Yep. So we talk about going out and to doing missions and going out all across the world. And... We're missing the mission here at home. And I'm wondering, how do we relight a fire that seems to have gone cold? People have got to get really serious with God and realize where the country is right now. It's in a backslidden condition. And it needs people of real prayer. And I mean real prayer. I don't mean little pretty little prayers like, Lord, bless me and my <laughs> brother and him. Now, what was the prayer that was prayed in Yorkshire? My, my wife came from Yorkshire in England, and there used to be a favorite prayer that was a mockery, really. It was, mm -hmm. Lord, bless me and my wife, my brother and his wife, us four and no more, amen. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not the kind of prayer that we want. Right. We want a prayer where your heart is aching, where there's tears on your face, and where you are yearning for God to do something. There's a longing inside of you that burns, 
until you can't do anything else but keep praying and praying until God answers the prayer. And the Word tells us in these times that there'll be signs and wonders for us to see. Mm-hmm. Are we, and we're not seeing them. Is it because we've lost our vision? We've lost our faith? Yeah. Back in, back in the 1950s, I was privileged to be part of a set of me- meetings in Birmingham, England, where a man called Clifton Erickson came. He was from America, and he had the gifts of the Holy Ghost working in him. Some people don't believe in it now. Some churches don't. But I believe, I come from a Pentecostal church, and we believe that the gifts of the Holy Ghost Mm -hmm. still operate. They've never been taken away. Mm -hmm. Clifton Erickson had the gifts, the only plural one, the gifts of healing and the gift of miracles. And I saw him open up a meeting in the middle of Birmingham on a bank holiday when half the city was away on, on vacation in a, in a building that sat 2,500. First afternoon, 300 people. They looked lost. By the end of the first week, we were turning 1,000 people away. <laughs> I saw him pray for people. I saw blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped. People who were born crippled, a sort of a, a person brought in that had a leg that was so twisted and, and that, that it was almost facing backwards, one leg, and couldn't walk, brought in a wheelchair. And I saw Clifton Erickson lay his hand on that man and pray in the name of Jesus. And the, the leg snapped round to the right position and he jumped out of the chair and ran around the building like, like a two-year-old, you know. <laughs> I saw a couple who were deaf and dumb, and they they resided at the deaf and dumb school. And I saw uh, when we finished the meeting, we started the meeting at seven thirty. I was I was only a little a year and a half since I got saved, and I got involved in this. Got to know Clifton quite well, and um, he told me that originally he'd been in Chile, where he had crowds of a hundred thousand people in the stadiums, and they had to take out the crutches and the wheelchairs and the various medical material by the cartload, by the truckload, <laughs> the next morning after he had had the meeting. And he said to me, he said, Brother French, he said, it's not one thing to do with me. He said, it's all the Holy Ghost. There you go. So he said, if I didn't have the Holy Ghost working through me, I couldn't do one of these things. That used to happen when the church was alive. Mm. doesn't happen now. Pastor Jackson, you have something? You know, I I look at where we're at right now. And the United States has someone in the White House that didn't get the majority vote. I think that we as citizens have enjoyed a great deal of what our forefathers have won for us mm. in this nation. Is it coming to a close? I believe there's a crisis that's going to happen to see our tornado that is just taking off. Devastated New York and New Jersey. Usually the hurricanes don't get that high. Is there a possibility that God's still at work in this nation and can pour out his spirit one more time? And I believe it's got to be 
little groups like this. It's an uncommitted. Whatever comes, I'm going to hold steady and be led of the Spirit of God in my life. Mm. May it happen. Mm -hmm. happen. Could I give you the best description of a revival? Sure. It's the inrush of God's Spirit into a body that's threatening to become a corpse. Mm. Mm. That describes America, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's the best description I ever came across of a revival. Mm. The inrush of God's Spirit into a body that's threatening to become a corpse. Brother Larson, do you have any closing statements you'd like to make? We're getting close to our time here. Uh, Justin, uh, we have been studying the uh, Revelation, thanks to your leadership. And uh, 50 years ago, uh, when I was relatively young, uh, I didn't see things like I see today in this country. And uh, I do see that uh, that uh, in my heart, uh, this should awake in America. And uh, I pray daily that people will see this and pray to the Lord that there will be a revival. Mm. And uh, I I think we are in the birth pains. And uh, I just feel like uh, God knows what he's doing. And all glory be to him. Amen. Mm -hmm. And we just pray that that, uh, we'll we'll stay with him as a believer. I think the biggest danger is not from outside, it's from inside. Mm Mm-hmm. Every great nation and every great empire has been destroyed, not because of attacks from the outside, but from corruption on the inside. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what's happening in America right now. Agree. You did have a great win yesterday when the anti-abortion law was passed in Texas. Mm -hmm. I believe it says that a heartbeat... When they can hear a heartbeat, no more abortions can occur. That's right. That's correct. That's correct. Glory be to God for that. We're very pleased. Uh, One of the detriments of that is that, you know, the president has already started a commission to uh, look into that so they can find a way to defeat us. But uh, Texas is pretty strong. So we're going to keep praying and keep fighting. We'll pray with you. Thank you. Yeah, I've often wondered why it is that we're always uh, kind of pushed with the idea it's my body and my choice. If a woman asks me about it, I'd say, it's not your body I'm worried about. It's the one inside you. (laughs) Right. Your your body will recover after the baby's born and you'll be fine. But there'll be two people going into an abortion clinic and only one coming out and that'll be you. I said, I'm not worried about your body. I know it's your body, but I'm not worried about your body. I'm worried about what's inside you. That's a living being. Mm-hmm. When, you take, when you take the fact that when Elizabeth got pregnant in, in the book of uh, Matthew, when Elizabeth got pregnant, no, book of um, Luke, I'm sorry, in the book of Luke, when Elizabeth got pregnant and Mary went to visit her and she was six months pregnant. Do you remember the story? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Mary walked into the place where Elizabeth was and hey, she, she spoke left. to her. And the baby, six months pregnant inside Elizabeth, leaped with joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You know, years ago, the doctors used to say to women who were pregnant, sing to that baby while mm. it's in the womb and speak mm. to it nicely and, and do all you can to encourage it because the baby can hear you. Mm. Yeah. And now they're kind of saying, oh, it's just a lump of flesh, you know, and it's not. It's mm. a living being. Yeah. Pastor John, do you have anything that you would like to close with real quick? I just feel like I've been honored to be with you and to share the thoughts that we've got. I do believe that something's on the way. Mm-hmm. And we need to Amen. pray with expectation mm. and for Holy Spirit guidance, Holy Spirit guidance mm-hmm. in our lives. And may this congregation be impacted somehow. Oh, yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I want to say it's been my great honor to be with all of you today. I, I learned so much from listening to you, and, and I, I just, I'm so grateful that you took the time to come in and talk to us. I really am. So this has been a Veritas Resurgence broadcast, and today on A Voice Coming in the Wilderness, we've been talking to our elders, Pastor Joe French, Pastor Jerome Jackson, Miss Harriet Jackson, and Brother Bill Larson, about the church, what it has been, what it is today, and what we need to regain. So if you would, please take a moment and subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to visit our website at vrbroadcast.org, where you can find more teaching and ask questions of the show and our guests. Also find us on Facebook at A Voice Calling in the Wilderness. And do us a favor, recommend this podcast to your friends and family. Again, thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Mm